0: Decades of poor research, a broken peer review system, false health and nutrition doctrines, inadequate regulation and a culture dominated by powerful vested financial interests have combined to make the world's supermarkets into minefields of bad information and products that put our health, our lives and our planet at risk. It's time to see beyond the two-for-one offers, the health aura products and the shiny false promises on every shelf. It's time to let the real healing begin. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. is reinventing and this the supermarket. is reinventing the supermarket. This. today I'm welcoming the man who has been billed as America's most famous farmer, Joel Salatin. Joel first came to prominence in Michael Pollan's best-selling book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and today he's known as much for his own books, such as Folks' This Ain't Normal and You Can Farm. Joel Salatin and his family own Polyface Farm in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. They use processes of holistic farming, combining deep respect for the earth and its natural cycles with modern technologies and techniques. Today we're going to focus on the ways in which healthy, conscious farming systems beget healthy food systems and a healthy ecology. Yes, we're going to talk about how, contrary to popular opinion, eating mindfully farmed meats doesn't hurt the environment, it actually heals it. Indeed, healing is a major theme here, in which we start to understand that we cannot heal ourselves until we heal the system that's serving up our foods. And to do that, we need to respect everyone in the chain, including soils, ecosystems and especially animals. We'll also spend some time talking about why it is that the average supermarket today is not offering you consciously and holistically farmed choices of meat in spite of those alluring fake farm name brands that they're putting on the packaging and what you can start doing to help change that situation. And we'll unpack a little bit about this system that was designed to enrich the middlemen while letting the health and well being of lands, animals, and peoples go completely down the drain. So let's go. My recent discussion with Joel Salatin the choreography of farming, building direct relationships with the farmers who grow our food, choosing grass fed meats, and is eating meat really the problem? Or is it that outdated and unethical industrial farming and retail systems are to blame? In this episode called Healing and the Farm Supermarket Disconnect. Joel Salatin, welcome. I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank
1: you. It's great to be with you, Melody.
0: Well, um, Joel, I I know we've got a sort of pretty big conversation <laughs> that we want to get through today. So, um, I, But really the biggest thing that I'm hoping to get out of this conversation is that it, we're starting a conversation about what, the disconnect is between the things that most people can buy in the supermarket and the really the very degraded quality of a lot of the foods that they are offered in, this, in the normal, everyday, average supermarket versus the superb quality of food that a farmer like you is producing. But before we get to that, I'd kind of like to go back And for those people who aren't as familiar with you as I am and as many people are, uh, because as a farmer, you're extremely well known. I'd like to talk a little bit about what you do and what your philosophy is and why it's so special.
1: Well, uh, I am a farmer. We're in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley here in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States. And... um, we're in pastured livestock that's kind of been our our forte i mean we do grow garden and fruit and vegetables and things for ourselves but we we tend to just sell some extras that we're that's not our main business our business has been um pastured livestock and so we have um cows we have pigs chickens both eggs and meat we have turkeys rabbit ducks and lamb Right. So it's quite a and quite a menagerie. But uh as you can imagine, unlike unlike many uh farms, our animals are out on pasture uh almost all the time, not in the right in the dead of winter. They don't do chickens don't like three feet of snow very well. And so we <laughs> I have, bet they do <laughs> We we have tall tunnels, uh like you know, hoop houses that uh, can keep them warm and, and, and dry for the right in the middle of winter. But otherwise for, you know, nine months of the year, everything is out on pasture and it's moved regularly. Like, I mean, like daily or every couple of days onto new paddocks to mimic the migratory choreography of, uh, of animals in nature, the, the way they move. And, 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 and then the, the other thing is that we do, Everything that we produce, and we're not, you know, we're not a backyard scale. We've got, we'll do, um, you know, close to a 1,000 hogs. We've got about 1,000 head of cattle. Um, you know, we'll do uh, 25,000 chickens. Uh, oh, 100,000 dozen eggs. And uh, uh, the, the, the lambs and ducks are our grandchildren's projects, so those are very infantile at this point. But um, anyway, you know, this is not a backyard deal. And we supply about six thousand six thousand families and fifty restaurants and ten, you know, kind of retail facades, uh, you know, in the in the greater region. Within within four miles, um, I'm sorry, within four hours uh of the farm. So we don't we don't ship internationally, we don't ship we don't even ship nationally. Uh we've pretty much drawn a circle of out four hours, that's as far as we'll deliver. And right. um and that's, that's, kind of our, that's kind of our food shed.
0: That's absolutely, it's fantastic. And I think with all the reading I've done about the way that you're farming, I particularly love the way you talk about the fact that you're really a worm farmer and, and you're a grass farmer and that everything kind of comes from the thought that if you have happy worms and if you have uh, beautifully growing grass, then it's all going to work for you.
1: Yes, well, the uh, you know, when you look at when you look at the track record of nature if you will, uh obviously there was no, you know, there was no tillage uh up until, you know, we started plowing things. And so um when you think about the the productivity of of nature, uh there were there were large um you know, what what are what are known uh by scientists as megafauna, uh, megafauna, you know, in, in Australia, there were nine mm. foot wombats. They in were. New Zealand, there were six six foot tall, um, you know, ur- herbivorous non-flight moa birds that, that only became extinct about 600 years ago. Um, you know, in the U.S., of course, we had the bison. Right. Africa, of course, still has the large herds of, you know, of, of zebras and wildebeests and things. But Europe, Europe had ele- elephants um, uh, you know there were you know we, we know about mastodons and things like this the, the, the point the point is that the the planet was literally uh, pulsing with megafauna uh, for you know for, for many for a long time and um, and much of it is gone but that is what built this extremely uh, deep soil this herbivorous this herbivorous megafauna that pruned the grasslands back you know all the deep soils on the planet were developed not under trees but under under um grasses
0: it's under, so uh, important prairies. and of course yeah. of course our culture generally treats soil as if it's an endless supply that will never run out and that you never need to do anything to top it up
1: that's true and Right now, right now, we are destroying soil uh, faster than any time in human history. Now, it, you know, if you look at human history, the the story of civilizations rise and collapse. You know, ancient Rome and and the and um, the the uh, Greek uh, cultures and things, and and certainly, you know, uh, Greenland and Iceland and different places. Uh, in in many cases. The rise and fall of these cultures was based on uh, on soil productivity, and the the culture rose uh, as it figured out how to you know develop soil, and then as it as it began to um, erode soil, uh, then then it collapsed, and and you know Homer the uh, the the Greek historian who wrote you know the, the writer who wrote the, uh, not his, he was a historian, but he also wrote uh, fiction, The Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, They're certainly certainly fiction, but he (laughs) talked about walking all across the north of Africa and never leaving the shade of a tree, what is today the Sahara Desert, the Rajputan Desert in India. You know, they've they've, they've discovered now these huge, big uh, lime lime, uh, floors where there were massive granaries in, in these deserts. And so so generally the deserts of the world have been man made they've been, they've been civilizationally caused due to tillage overgrazing and uh and 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 just uh, abuse and so so the question is well um if 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 the earth was so productive and soil building at one time what are the patterns are there patterns that we can you know uh, reinstitute that honor and mimic those ancient patterns that did build soil that did actually produce more pounds of animal than we have all animals and people on the planet today if you took the weight of all the people on the planet and all the animals on the planet it would not add up to the weight of the of the sum of all this megafauna that was here you know several thousand years ago right
0: Sort of puts the lie to the people who are who are claiming that um, that we really have too many animals now on the earth. Right.
1: Yeah. Or 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 too many people. You know. Either one. The point is that the that the planet's capability for abundance is is just exponentially more than we can imagine today. We and we think because of hybrid seeds or John Deere tractors or chemical fertilizers or pesticides. We think that we've become incredibly uh, uh, productive, when in fact we have be- we have actually have reduced production, even with all of this technology. And so, on our farm, what we're doing is is trying to is trying to um, use modern technology like like uh, water pipe and electric fence and nursery shade cloth. Bandsaw mills to make tinker toy portable shelters, and and uh, reinstitute these complex relational symbiotic choreographs that were the way all of this animal and prairie and soil development uh, occurred you know, long time ago. So that's
0: about, just just going back to the word you used earlier, which was migratory, uh, so that's about everything moving all the time.
1: Yes, yes, and, and of course, historically, things moved, uh, you know, I mean, large, large herds moved thousands of miles. Right. uh, You know, in, in migratory, they'd follow the rains or the monsoons or whatever. And, of course, today we have private ownership in much of the world, there's still some of the world we don't have private ownership, but at least in in the in the Western cultures that we think of as as, as Western cultures, um, we certainly have private ownership. Which of course, it's you know your your neighbor doesn't want your herd of cattle to uh, to migrate onto his place, right? Yes, and neither so, does the
0: government. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will just and, mention suddenly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so, so so the question is, well, how do we? How do we create these migratory patterns with domestic, you know, domestic land ownership with the borders that we've arbitrarily placed on the landscape? And I don't want to get into a debate about whether you know we should have private ownership or not or those kinds of things. Um, but but the the question is how how can we do that? And of course, how we can we do that is we can put water in a pipe so we can deliver anywhere. You're not you're not uh, um, Relegated to just springs and streams to get water, but you can you can make a water point anywhere. Number two, electric fence allows us to have an extremely cheap, um, low mass. It's a it's a it's a non physical. It's a non physical way to uh, to control stock to control animals. And then of course they need shelter. They normally have gone under trees, but now we can use portable. Uh, portable shade structures with this webbed uh, uh, nursery shade cloth material. You know, you see it over like ginseng beds and things like that. be it nursery horticulturalists use it. Well, you know, it's it's a spun it's a spun uh, uh, plastic cloth basically, and uh, we can, and it's, it's very light. The wind can go through it, so you can make shelters for animals, so they're not so they're not uh, relegated just to being under trees. And that allows us to actually move them more perfectly, monitor what's going on, and place their manure and urine, and place their their um, you know to to i to put them on a certain place at the right time, and get them even to lie down where we want them to lie down, like on the place that needs a little bit of extra you know dung or something. Um, and, and and we can choreograph this uh, up to the you know up to the nth degree, and 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 even though we can do it uh, beautifully, the the pattern of it, the foundation of it, is a humble respect for these ancient patterns that you know that we're still uh, you know enjoying the benefits of of the soil that they built.
0: So you're really you're moving the animals. You're using um, very lightweight electric fencing that allows you to move the animals around in a in a patchwork that allows the grass to achieve its best pattern of growth. That allows grass to grow the way it should be growing and and get that rapidly growing. Uh, Part of its life that we need, we desperately need that in our food chain—the rapidly growing grass—and
1: yeah. uh, yeah. well, so that's if, what you're doing. Yes. Well, if you can imagine an S, just imagine an an, an S in your mind, uh, the letter S. Um, you know, it it has it has a as as a, a graph. All right. If if you put that S uh, shape on a graph, what you have there is a is a is a long uh, slow bottom. Then you have this very fast vertical middle. And then you have, of course, a, a slow, slow uh, you know, dipping top. And uh, that that is a, is a rough illustration of how of how grass grows. Um, so it starts slow, and then it really picks up speed, and then it goes into senescence. Um, just to help us to understand what that is, I've called the first part uh, diaper grass, you know, how long it seems. Are they ever going to get out of diapers? you know. <laughs> Ever gonna get done, and then and then, and then you have this middle rapid growth period, which I call you know teenage grass, and then and then you go out the other end uh, into senescence, which I call nursing home grass. Okay, so you've got diaper teenage nursing home, and and this this these migratory patterns in nature using you know where, where, uh, between fire and the herbivores and the predation. Uh, pushed these migratory patterns, what they did was um, they moved these pruners, these herbaceous uh, uh, herbivorous, I'm sorry, herbivorous pruners around on the grasses to prune them when they hit the nursing home status, prune them back to the bottom to where they could start this, this rapid you know, teenage growth cycle. Such a perfect and, um, system. Yeah, and 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 so so grass you know interestingly um, the the trees bushes or or shrubs and grass those three kinds of um, uh, phenotypes tree brush or bush and uh, grass grass is by far and away the most efficient converter of solar energy sunbeams into fungible biomass into you know something that's as poetic and fantastical and dreamy as sunbeams to convert those into something that's weighable, tradable, valuable, and that's it, biomass. Um, Which means it is, it's, it's the big
0: it's, carbon sink. That's where yeah, all the exactly carbon is going.
1: That, that's, that's exactly what it is. And and when we talk about, I don't want to get into, you know, I'm not sure you want to go into climate change and global warming and all those sorts of things. And I, I actually, you know, am not big on, on how much of it on where we're headed you know i I grew up we're going into an ice age and now we're going into going to burn up so i actually don't know but interestingly the cure the cure for both whether we're entering an ice age or whether we're entering global warming the cure to both is to put the carbon out of the atmosphere the accumulated carbon into the ground and nothing does that faster than a perennial uh as opposed to an annual and of course again in Western culture um, all of our, our the holy grail in agriculture is annuals it's it's grain production as opposed to perennial uh, you know uh, perennial uh, grasses and, and things like that and and so uh, the the biggest enemy the biggest enemy to, carbon in the soil as opposed to in the atmosphere is tillage and so if we can if we can reduce the tillage dramatically uh and then add this this intricately choreographed i call it a landscape mosaic a mosaic of, of pattern on the landscape then we can actually begin Replacing all that carbon in the soil, and uh, and pull it out of the atmosphere, and begin rebuilding the soil with organic matter and things like that. I mean, uh, all over the planet. I mean, in uh, in the United States here, uh, it's pretty much agreed by you know agronomists that before the Europeans came, the average organic matter in the U.S. was about eight percent uh you know somewhere between seven and eight percent today it averages one percent um in aus Austra- in australia in 1820 in 1820 in australia uh average organic matter was 20 percent today it's one percent i mean these are these are huge reductions in in soil carbon uh, in a very, very short time.
0: And if you talk about the uh, need to reduce the amount of carbon that's being released due to tillage, which is, that's your crop, that's your big grain crops, the big corporate-owned grain crops that are being grown, (laughs) um, then certainly not feeding grains to the animals would be a really positive step.
1: Yes, well, so that... Exactly. I mean, mo- uh, virtually uh, 80% of the grain grown on the planet goes through animals, not through people. Very but it doesn't need actually.
0: to.
1: But it it doesn't need to. Now, now um, for herbivores, herbivores, which would be you know sheep, dairy goats, cows, um, they don't need any grain whatsoever. So yeah, you know, that would that would cut out a lot. Now, when you go to the pigs and chickens, you go to your omnivores. Um, they have a higher, uh, they have a different digestive system, and uh, so typically, you know, they get grain. But but historically, the omnivores, the domestic domestic omnivores like pigs and chickens, um, those things were were um, used as salvagers of waste streams. Um, you know in in uh, Switzerland where the, the pigs drink the whey from the you know from the little alpine dairies and then they cure the meat and and, and so they tote they tote cheese and um, and uh, prosciutto you know down the mountains uh, inst- instead of uh, you know running pigs and, and milk and uh, it makes transportation a, a lot cheaper what, but what's happened is, as we have industrialized our food system and our farming system, we have now separated these very intricate, these integrated systems, where the omnivore was was nearby to handle, you know, uh, rotten apples or vineyard vineyard pumice, uh, the you know where chickens would eat the um, you know the, the tailings from from making juice. And you have all the rind and the seeds and all that. That's, that is wonderful uh, pig and chicken feed. And, of course, that's where, you know, the uh, Parmesan, you know, um, so, some of the, a lot of, in Spain and, and Italy, uh, where a lot of these things developed. And, and so now what happened, what, what's happened now, though, is that all of these waste streams are segregated in in space, from the animals which are confined in big factory houses, and and those two things that used to be a beautiful synergy uh, now never meet, and so they so the they both become liabilities in the you know in, in the system. They both become liabilities instead of instead of beneficial assets toward each other.
0: So the fact that they moved to industrialized farming, they set up cafos, um, this it, this loss of mixed farms having mixed uh, production yes. coming out of farms has and the industrialization which was thought to be in to be the most efficient way to farm, but, you know, in in the the, uh, sort of last couple of hundred years, it's it's become more and more popular uh, until now it's taken over the world pretty pretty much in terms of, certainly in terms of the uh, Western developed nations. Uh, That has destroyed all of the synergies and it's destroying the soil as a result. So the inputs aren't there. So it's all, it becomes all about output and not about the healthy input, and and as an outcome of that, you look at what's being fed to a lot of the animals, and you know they're grinding up sick animals from one system and feeding them yeah. to the animals in yeah. another. It's horrific. It's a horror story.
1: Well, th- yeah. Well, th- this is how you know bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also known as mad cow, uh, developed. S- supposedly, I mean, you know, they're, uh, everybody has its. Uh, it's detractors, but the, the, generally it's assumed that this developed from feeding dead cows to cows. And uh, on our farm, you know, as the, as the government, as the United States Department of Agriculture, I call it, I call it the U.S. Duh, um, began taking farmers like us to these uh, free steak dinners to teach us this new scientific methodology of feeding dead cows to cows. We we did not do that not because we didn't like the USDA or didn't like the government or 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 whatever. And of course, they branded us as Luddites and Neanderthals, barbarian. You know what do you want us to do? Go back to hoop skirts and uh, and uh, washboards and you know hearth cooking, um, and and we didn't do it because we looked around the planet and said, where is a pattern? Where is a template? Where herbivores eat carry on and 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 it it simply doesn't exist and now we didn't understand all the whys and wherefores as to why it didn't but our our worldview our paradigm assumes that if this is a tried and true pattern even if i don't understand all the ramifications or the reasons there's probably some wisdom there's probably a long track record of wisdom into why this is so and so, so we did not, you know, buy into that. And then thirty years later, there's this worldwide, um, you know, oops, maybe we shouldn't, oughta done that, you know, and and uh, and, and suddenly, um, you know, the, the the industry realizes, you know, we did a we did a bad thing, and and so, yes, these these historically normal patterns of integration and symbiosis and pattern uh, are, you know, are real. And we I think we despise them um, only to our, you know, to our fault, if, if we despise them. And, and what's interesting, as you pointed out, it was thought that all this, you know, factory farming and industrialism and all this was going to be more efficient, but actually it's only efficient if you have cheap energy, and do not capture what are called the externalized costs of of pollution, of MRSA, C. Diff, subtherapeutic antibiotic feeding, you know all of these all of these issues. And of course, now we've gone into genetically modified organisms, and we're seeing you know spontaneous abortion. We're seeing uh, you know a a just a, a an exponential growth in Autism and uh, uh, glyphosate use—you know the the, er, the, the er, er, herbicide—and and the thing about all of this stuff is that the Earth is really a very forgiving place. I mean, my goodness, it's it it, it can take abuse and just and 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 wants mm. the it the, wants to the, live, the
0: earth, doesn't it? It,
1: it uh, does the, the the Earth the Earth is not a reluctant partner that we must. You know coerce and and force and you know violently uh, um, um, you know dominate it into production. the earth is actually a benevolent lover that wants to um you know bless us with with all of this abundance and so when we when we come to it in that kind of uh, respectful posture. It 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 is far more abundant. For example, on our farm, I'll just give you one example. So we move the cows every day. About four o'clock in the afternoon, we move the cows to a, a, a to a new paddock, and this allows us to prune that to prune that grass and restart the biomass accumulation uh, that rapid period of time and, and restart it, and so. The and just to be clear,
0: Joel, uh, just for people who are listening, when you say that allows you to prune the grass, it's the cows who are pruning the grass by eating yeah, it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, the, the cow, the cows are pruning it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 what this what this does this this daily move from paddock to paddock, we now average um, four hundred cow days per acre. A cow day is what one cow will eat in one day, and in our county. The average is 80 cal days per acre. So we are five times the per acre production. Now this is on perennials. This we're not planting seeds. We're not spreading chemical fertilizer. No herbicides. No pesticides. Simply, simply by mimicking these amazing uh, uh, movements uh, that 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 herbivores express throughout history, we're able to generate five times the production, and and guess what? In the last uh, uh, 50 years, our farm, which when we came, averaged 1% organic matter, now averages 8% organic oh matter, which Fantastic. is exactly what it was before the Europeans came.
0: That's wonderful. And,
1: and so... So, so, the, so you know, you're really
0: putting to rest this notion that if you aren't using... Chemicals. If you aren't using all of the synthetic and dangerous inputs that are going into current farming, particularly of animals, that you're putting to rest the notion that your yield will be low, because your yield is uh, not low.
1: No, a- absolutely. Our yields, our yields are are way way higher than the others around. But instead of using chemicals and pharmaceuticals and and and. Capital-intensive infrastructure, you know, concrete and fans and energy-intensive infrastructure to accomplish this. We exchange all that for management. So we we do not. When people look at us, say, "But look at all the people it takes to do this." My quick response is, "Well, that is a very strategic decision to 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 substitute people on the farm." for the pharmaceuticals the concrete the energy and and the and the chemicals that the other system uses
0: you mean you're spending your money paying people and not giving it to monsanto i can't believe it yes
1: yes absolutely absolutely so so you know in in the big scheme of things the, the labor the labor is identical the only difference is that our labor that in our system the labor is actually out on the land observing, managing, uh, viscerally involved with things where you know to, uh, as opposed to the labor in the industrial farm where the farm has virtually no labor, but behind this, this, this veil of the farm is a laboratory of pharmaceutical reps, chemical reps, equipment reps, you know, cheap energy, that, uh, coal mines, blah, 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 um, all of that stuff. You know, back several years ago when energy really, really spiked there in uh, whatever it was, 07, 08, um, uh, and, and the cost of gas went way through the roof, um, I read a report that said the average farm, uh, 50% of their expenses are, uh, are for uh, petroleum or for uh, fuel. And it's you know, it caught my attention. And so I I did an audit, a self-audit here of us, and found that on our farm, only 5% is is, uh, for for petroleum fuel. And that includes the fact that we run two delivery trucks. Right. Um, And you're not
0: ignoring technology. You're using technology to help you return to the cycles of the earth.
1: Yes, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up because so often, again, the naysayers who wag their fingers at us and and, and say, "Oh, you're a bunch of you know, you're you're going back to the the old days," uh, you know, back to um, you know, uh, typhus and and <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, okay, uh, what what they what they don't understand is that there is an entire um uh, an entire technological advancement on I'll say on our side of the equation um, that th- th- they have not embraced and and so yes while they've been pouring concrete and coming up with more um, you know uh, uh, permutations of of DDT or herbicide or whatever, our side has also been developing, amazing technologies in control and shelter and water delivery uh, systems that that allow us to massage the landscape to to caress it with what we're doing um, and 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 tease out a far more productive abundant um, landscape than occurs in a static state and so we're not we're not abandoning. We're not, you know, divorcing ourselves uh, from the environment, from the ecology. We're actually inserting ourselves using our big brain and mechanical ability with our opposing thumbs to actually participate in a mega healing process, not an extraction process, but an actual Um, massaging to abundance process
0: i love it so much i also i just want to i just want to say to you that that i love the poetry of the way that you're using fences to help fix a problem that was created by fences in the first place so you know it was the dividing up of the land and the fencing of the land was a big part of the privatization and the ownership of all those big prairies those large grasslands and yep. it's the it's the imaginative clever use of lightweight modern fencing that you can use every day and move it around uh, that is actually healing the problem caused by the same thing
1: yes yes that that is a that's a great way to say it a great way to look at it and the beauty is that individual people you know all all of us eat uh, I mean, I buy. We don't grow everything that we raise, so we buy food too. But all of us as eaters can then uh, uh, participate. We can come alongside as fellow fellow collaborators, as fellow laborers with our farmers, with our food producers by by choosing and picking uh, good ones. We can actually come on as as participants. Um, in, in in this well you know I call it a ministry it's a, it's a it's a wonderful ministry it's a it's everything it's everything positive that that the word ministry uh, entails
0: I think what's also very exciting is that you know you've got the animals are living better lives you talk about the pigs being able to do piggy things and the cows being able to live a cow life yeah. they're not yeah. they're not packed into little tiny horrific containers the way they are in industrial farming setups. They're living their natural life and expressing their natural selves.
1: Yes, and I think that, that from an ethical or moral standpoint, um, how, we, how we view and treat, let's say, the least of these, you know, the, the pigs or the cows or the chickens, how we respect and view them, honor them, uh naturally flows out to the way we honor and respect the greatest of these, you know our neighbor, our family, our friends, our whatever and so a a culture that thrives on disrespecting the pigness of the pig will very soon morph into disrespecting the tomness of Tom and the merriness of mary and, and 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 um and so so this this consistent ethical framework on which we hang the 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 foundations of our of how we view life. Um you know, is life fundamentally mechanical or is it biological? And I think our industrial system essentially views life as mechanical. If we can grow it fatter, faster, bigger, cheaper uh, then that's great and and you know, hang the consequences. And I think uh, that
0: the 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 meat that your farm is producing has got to be just healthier meat to consume. It's free of chemicals, uh, it's grass fed or pastured meat. Um, so I'm thinking it's a, a beautiful, healthy meat to to consume. Uh, is your farm uh, classified and certified as organic?
1: No, we don't participate in the government programs. We, you know, we, what, what we do instead is we have a 24-7, 365 open-door policy so that anyone can come to the farm to check us out to see what we're doing uh, anytime from anywhere in the world unannounced. That's our, our commitment to transparency. And if, if the average farm would replace their no trespassing signs with welcome signs, um, then the, the, the dirty, stinky, smelly uh, farms would go by the wayside and, you know, and we would fundamentally change the way things are. Michael Pollan, writing in uh, Omnivore's Dilemma, I think, used the term that if, if the average factory farm had glass sides so people could see inside, it would fundamentally change the way that we, we view food. So, it
0: absolutely, um, absolutely would. I do just want to state for people listening that the certification of organic in general is a is a far superior product to buy in the supermarket than just a non-organic product that isn't going to the lengths that you're going to to establish credentials and to be transparent about what they're doing so if you can't get information about where your food is coming from and the people who are selling it to you aren't offering any information and if you don't have a better choice then choose organic it's the best choice you probably have but i totally agree with you joel that there is there is a better way than organic certification, but it's a, a long sort of way for people to sort of wrap their heads around sure. it.
1: Listen, listen, you know, I ate a banana this morning. We don't produce bananas here in Virginia, but we buy organic bananas, you know, down at the at the market. So, yes, I, I'm absolutely with you on that. You know, you can get organic ketchup. You know, there, there are things that you can do, but, but a step beyond that is to get, is to get uh, tomatoes from your local farmer, to, for with whom you have a relationship, and uh, and and use your high your high technology kitchen and culinary skills, turning your kitchen into a an entertainment and a, an, an edutainment center for your children, and make uh, make ketchup yourself. You know, at least do it one time, just so you can participate in this. Um, you know, we we have a a dearth of um, of, of culinary ignorance, uh, or culinary understanding, you know, um, where people are so disconnected from food or, and, and I would suggest even from their ecological umbilical that they, they don't understand, um, you know, sight, smell, prep sort of thing of, of food. And I think that, uh, ultimately this, this movement toward I'll call it integrity food the, and, and integrity farming that we're talking about ultimately depends on more people um, coming down out of the bleachers and joining in the game right. of, uh, of culinary,
0: uh, you know, culinary art. It's happening. It's happening slowly. It, it is a process. Sure. I, I do want to, uh, there's just one more point I want to bring up Um about what you're doing is that you are bringing back, in the process that you're uh, applying at Polyface Farm, you're bringing back wildlife and pollinators. It's not like you are giving up anything, really. You're you're bringing back much of what was lost. Uh,
1: yes, in fact, one of our one of our kind of uh, benchmarks of farming truth is that um, if good farming should actually. Um, encourage wildlife. there shouldn't be a competition between the farm and the and the wildlife itself. And I know that uh, what we've done with with permaculture permaculture style you know uh, building ponds and making field edges and uh, what I call crooked crooked fences because they run with the terrain instead of you know the combine um, and, and all these uh, forestal riparian and field edges, we now have, just just uh, substantially more wildlife than we did 30 years ago and, and it, it's attracted to the um, uh, it, it, it's attracted to landscape surprise and pollinators goodness um, we just had the, the Smithsonian uh, just did a a field study here last summer and found that every single bumblebee known to exist in in the state of Virginia um, is here on our farm and very oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah so so uh, you know there's a there's another example of all of these little kind of unseen um, you know we don't always we don't always think of those dots as being connected but they are connected and um, and it, it's just wonderful to not have to to give up one thing to have another, but, but all of these, all of these uh, elements can float and, and move together. And it's just very, very gratifying to actually, you know, to actually work in it and not feel like we're some sort of a, an off, uh, you know, watching a stage from afar. We're actually able to be on, be on the stage with it. And that's, that's To, to, to not have to suffer the guilt that, Oh no, you know, I'm continuing this, this uh this bad play we can actually change the play um and and be a and be part of a, of a of a different you know a different kind of play
0: you can be part of a much better story by the sound yes. of it uh, yeah the yes. question we have to ask of course joel is why why is the average person not able to buy the kind of food that you're producing in their local supermarket <laughs> I really want to start this conversation I know we're not going to finish it I know we're just going to start it because it's a very big conversation that needs to be had I think at at an entirely cultural level it we have to have that conversation amongst all of the people
1: yeah well you have to understand that uh, the supermarket system, as currently you know, currently used in the in the, the developed world, um, not so much in the undeveloped world, they still have their you know their local markets, but the the supermarket mentality that we see in the in the developed uh, countries is not that old, but um, but for most people, it's it's what we it's all it's been around as long as we can remember. And what you have to realize is that as we, as, as the information, as, as people like you bring awareness to people that, oh, you know, there really is a much, much better uh, way, what happens is that people begin looking for alternatives. And the supermarket system, uh, the, the whole kind of government, industrial, supermarket fraternity um, uh, complex, has erected a host of hurdles, barriers that make it very difficult for food like ours to enter the, the supermarket. I mean, and these barriers are everything from, from SKU numbers to sophisticated tracking systems to insurance, uh, liab- product liability insurance that demands that we, for example, you know, vaccinate our animals or use drugs or whatever uh lots you know lots and lots of paperwork um uh uh you know dock the the fact that uh you, you can't back up to a warehouse without a tractor trailer so if you don't have a tractor trailer you know then you're not you're not big enough to back up to the dock i mean there are
0: well every, actually uh, as uh, someone who works with products and helping them get into supermarkets and keeping them in supermarkets and I've spent a lifetime working on brands that are in the supermarket that I have to tell you that your the system that you are working in in your farm this wonderful system which is creating the kind of food we should all be eating is not speaking the same language it's it's a totally different kind of system than the one that the supermarkets have built now I I just have to say that it's when I I talk about reinventing the supermarket, that's what I'm calling my project here. But we don't want to just rip down the supermarkets uh, as they are and not not have built anything in their place. Because at the moment, we're, we're feeding an awful lot of people with this massive infrastructure and distribution system that has been developed. So But the supermarkets themselves have objectives that are not aligned with your objectives as a farmer and they're not aligned with my objectives as somebody who wants to buy food. The supermarkets, I think there's a much bigger problem even than the systems. I think it's that these are uh, largely supermarkets are publicly held corporations and they only have a profit motive. They don't have any desire to walk lightly on the earth no matter... What kind of uh, advertising they put on TV, no matter what their advertising people tell you about how great their motives are, they only have a profit motive.
1: Well, that is certainly that is certainly the case uh, for, the, for the most part. Um, however, they do, as cumbersome or bureaucratic or whatever as they are, uh, as opaque as they are, they still respond. To market pressure.
0: They do indeed.
1: And, and so, um, you know, we, we could, you know, we could, we might have a little bit of a disagreement. I, I have tried to work with numerous supermarkets in our area and have not been able to get past the front door. And so we've essentially just created an alternative. And And the beautiful thing is that with the internet now, with electronic, with electronic marketing, Uh, We're able to work with regional folks who are uh, who are creating virtual supermarkets on the Internet for local produce where uh, people can either get it delivered to their doorstep or go. I mean, uh, I think that version
0: of the supermarket is going to be a big part of the reinvention of the model. Joel, I think that yeah. that that is exactly a part of the healing that has to go on is bringing yeah. it back to the local level and creating more regional a, a more regional to local perspective on how they bring products to market as opposed to these very large national distribution uh, channels yeah. that they have at the moment yeah.
1: I, I yeah i couldn't agree more for example I'll, I'll give you one we we work with one called relay foods here in the mid-atlantic region they service about a oh an area that would be maybe 800, 800 uh, kilometers uh in in radius and uh and they work with some 100 or more uh food producers in the area from from uh crab, you know, crab fishermen on the Chesapeake Bay to stone ground flour here in the valley. They work with us. They work with cheese artisans. The point is that they they have built this essentially a virtual supermarket on the Internet. People can order weekly and and, and these guys then send, send a delivery truck out to the farms to the food purveyors in in the food shed, pick up everything, warehouse it offer it and the beauty is that um without without public access warehousing they're able to reduce the overheads because they don't have to have you know handicapped parking public restrooms fluorescent lighting nice tiles they can actually warehouse something in a non-public forum and so there's a very very short chain of custody right between the farm and, and the actual customer, and they can cut a lot of costs off. They've just recently uh, gotten a Massachusetts Institute of Technology study done on carbon footprinting, and they've just come in as a, as the smallest distribution carbon footprint in the food system um, anywhere, including supermarkets or anything else. And so there's no reason why we can't Uber... Uber, our food system, like we've Ubered our transportation system, and this this whole Uber idea. And I don't want to get into a you know a big discussion on that, but but the 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 Ubering the Ubering of the of the uh, of the service of the of, of the sect of the of the market sector uh, is 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 a phenomenon that is going to be with us. I don't think
0: it's I agree. going to go I away. I totally agree.
1: And 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 we're we're now. I mean, I just talked to a guy last week who went to a big uh, food conference in San Francisco, and they used Airbnb, which is like you know, which is like Uber Uber Hotel, right? Um, Air, Airbnb rented a rented a a, a, a a large house in San Francisco. There were like ten of them in the group. Instead of going to ten rooms in a hotel, they rented this house for a thousand dollars for the for the four days and that when they got in they called uh amazon fresh and got local organic produce right from you know within the community delivered to their doorstep uh not by a drone yet (laughs) (laughs)
0: well it's coming
1: it's coming coming. And, (laughs) and the point is they they were able they were able to cook in a in their airbnb house beautiful kitchen um uh, put the, instead of putting their money in, in a hotel room and all this other, they put their money in, a, in the local food, cooked themselves, lived like kings, had wonderful fellowship and camaraderie. Um, that, that, that's the future. That's the future. And so this ability to communicate, to have very close connections um, with our neighborhoods, to know what's available, when it's available, where it's available in real time across the democratized internet is I think going to fundamentally change the face of retail uh, on the planet. I think and... I,
0: I totally agree with you on that and I have to say that uh, you can imagine if you were one of the big supermarket companies seeing this coming at you as they and they're a bit slow generally but they, they pick on the pick up on the consumer trends so you know they create the fake brands the fake farmhouse brand that they you know that they stick in the supermarket they label it grass-fed okay. even at which by the way you can call it grass-fed even if the animal is has eaten a lot of grain uh, because in most yep. places it, as long as it ate some grass Uh, You can call it grass-fed meat. So there's all sorts of tricks on the labelling. And so there's this very inauthentic uh, process in the early days, I have to say. And we're still in the, as far as supermarkets are concerned, still in the early days. But as they see this kind of new model you're talking about emerging, then they're going to really start, well, for a start, they'll start losing business. So they're going to really begin thinking very hard about what they can authentically do to bring the quality of food to people. It's particularly in food, uh, particularly in the fresh foods uh, that you're talking about, this ability to get locally produced, authentically high-quality, ethical, environmentally, respectful and friendly food delivered to you that's outside of the description of a supermarket right now
1: yes absolutely and and perhaps you know perhaps some soup i mean we do work with a couple of local supermarkets that actually you know they don't have they don't have strawberries in in the winter and good for them and, and when and when strawberries are available They, you know, they use all their social media and advertising to publicize strawberries are coming again, you know, and people go down and they get their strawberries, and it's a celebratory thing. It is, and and, and so um, so it's the ebb and flow of life. It it is, and and it is, and 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 for you to be able to to jump into that water, that that water of the cycles and the seasonality of life, and, and realize that um that it, it doesn't revolve around you there's something bigger going on than you uh we believe that that's a very very healthy uh uh way to you know to view ourselves and our position and and uh just to just to to move that technology piece one step forward there is there is a uh, a lot of work right now being done um To be able to have, for example, a smartphone app where you could actually use your use your um, where you can have a diagnostic capability to read, for example, genetic modified organism uh, um, uh, low level frequency, uh, low intensity frequency, because because all life gives off a certain amount of frequency. I don't want to get too mysterious for people, but the, all, all of us are resonating at a certain frequency. That's that's, um, and and healthy things resonate at a different frequency than unhealthy things. And so, right now, there's a lot of work being done. When you talk about, I love your word authentic, uh, authenticity, because you know we deal with that all the time. It's with, what you, you are. Know, <laughs> yeah, pe- people people using terminology. Or, or restaurants that, that, nibble, that nibble just enough off of good food that they put that on the menu, and then 95% mm. comes off the industrial truck. That's and, right. And, and, and so... They um, fake what's it. Happen- <laughs>
0: they fake the yeah, authenticity, what, which is very sad. Yeah,
1: w- yeah, what's happening now is that there's a lot of, of work going into technology that, it would, that would empower you and I to be able to walk down... Uh, a, a food, you know, whether it's a supermarket, a farmers market, uh, uh, visit a farm, whatever, and essentially wave this wand, if you will, you know, I- I- instead of uh, getting on an airplane and being wanded, you wand your food. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. <laughs> and,
1: and, and and suddenly, you know, it, it gives you, for example, a bricks reading on on grapes, or it gives you a residual reading on pesticides.
0: And, Fantastic. And, and
1: suddenly, and and suddenly you know it it truly democratizes the often, the ability to sleuth the authenticity and uh, those, I love it th- those days are coming and when they come when, you can imagine that that will really fundamentally begin to to modify uh the way we the way we buy food
0: a lot of people are going to have trouble sleeping at night when that happens and uh, hopefully they yeah. <laughs> hopefully they become part of an authentic food supply system joel i want to just ask you sort of as a final thought uh, if you have any advice you'd like to give to people uh shoppers in particular uh, a first step that they can take towards getting uh, particularly their fresh meat uh a quality more like you're producing and less like what's in the supermarket.
1: Uh great great question. So my I have a kind of a three-part answer for shoppers. Uh do I have time to run down three very quickly? Um one one is get in your kitchen. Uh ultimately we cannot have an authentic food system unless you're authentically involved with it. So 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 get in your kitchen is number one. Begin using your your all of your techno stuff, your bread bakers, your time bake, your hot and cold water, uh, to your crock pot, your slow cooker, you know, to be able to uh, prepare, um, you know, preserve, and and package, uh, you know, food in, in your own kitchen. So you're not buying you're not buying processed food. You're you're buying unprocessed and 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 uh, preparing it there. Number two is do something yourself. Whether it's a patio tomato plant, a beehive on your roof, a a, a vermicomposting kit under your kitchen, let so earthworms eat your uh, kitchen scraps, or or get uh, two chickens for the house. Throw out the cat, the dog, the gerbil, and the and the king cobra pet snake, and put in a couple chickens. They'll eat your kitchen scraps, give you two eggs a day. Wonderful, you know, way to participate. And finally, number three is. Take your your entertainment dollars that you're gonna spend this year, going to the to the soccer game, the cricket game, the movies, uh, the, the you know, the the cruise, the whatever you have planned for your vacation. Take one year one year of that time and money that you would put on entertainment and recreation and invest it instead in finding your authentic food treasures in your community. There are farmers all around places now. That produce this kind of high quality food. Go visit some of them. You'll get an idea very quickly how to discern, pick, and and, and once you've visited three or four of these, your your discernment your discernment exercise muscles uh, will kick into gear, and you will become extremely skilled, just like driving a car, you know, just like answering the phone or putting those pushing those little apps on your smartphone. You'll become very very Skilled as you as you begin to meet you know, meet your local producers and um, and and visit their farms, talk to them, and you will find your food your authentic food treasures in your community. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic kind of, that's advice. That's kind of my three part yeah that, that that's my three part recipe for changing the system. And if everybody would do that, we'd have a different system in a few
0: months. We would. Joel Salatin, thank you so much for being here. This has just been a fantastic discussion, and it's enlightened me no end, so thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. Is, is Reinventing the Supermarket. this is Reinventing the Supermarket.